0: Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Do. Does
1: anyone here know
0: the lyrics? Ruben! Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version. With four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus.
2: Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like the show and think we deserve a five-star rating, and obviously we do, rate us and post a review. Also, although our main purpose in life is to entertain you, producing this show costs actual money. So please help out by going to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried. And pledging your support to receive old sorts of goodies, merchandise, personalized roast, and shout-outs, advanced access to episodes, or personal messages from me, Gilbert Gottfried. And if we raise enough, maybe I can finally get a new co-host. I'm thinking of the Scarlett Johansson robot. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santopadre, and this is Gilbert and Frank's amazing, colossal obsessions. Now we're here with another guinea. <laughs> <laughs> abusing
1: the guest. Yes. 30 seconds. What yes. a great start.
2: <laughs> Jim, Jim Colucci, whose new book is Golden Girls Forever, the unauthorized look behind the lineae. Isn't it lanai? Lanai. 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 It's a porch. This is where we all learn that word. See, I never learned that. Lanai. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so it's all about the golden girls.
0: It's a freaking porch, isn't it? A lanai. Yeah, it's
1: a patio, patio, whatever. You know, know, they have fancy names in Hawaii. Who knows?
0: So, Jim. Yes? Yes? Tell us about this book. Uh,
1: This book is the product of a 10-year Virgo's obsession to just catalog everything that happened behind the scenes of the Golden Girls and luckily I started it in 2006 so they were all still around Estelle was not well but I talked to B and Rue and Betty and spent a day with each of them at least how about Herb Edelman Susan Harris Herb Edelman died in the 90s oh, he was shit. the one well, who know, really was ago. gone that, Yeah. funny man oh that, my god he was great
2: was one of those that would have been a Perfect guest. Yeah, on, yeah, uh, yeah. Because yeah. he did
1: everything. I mean, yeah. like you had Jessica Walter and Ron Liebman. I mean, just Herb did. Edelman was just—he was in all those shows too. He was right. everywhere in the seventies and eighties.
2: Now, now you you have some uh, B. Arthur stories. <laughs> I like that we're going to start
1: boring. with that. Let's I, go. I've
2: been told this, to
0: ask. This show you. has no structure whatsoever. Yes, that's as okay. You, I like that.
1: As you can see. Well, you know, uh, yeah, the 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 B. Arthur story I would tell would <laughs> be the one about spending the day with her. You know, there are other B. Arthur stories about her her, her love of salty language and sometimes that's where wh- at whom
2: it would
0: be directed. I'm sure, Gil can fill those in. Yes, it's.
2: Yeah, some somehow I I think I can take hearing y- a journey y- I think you can too. I I think I've seen a little joke you've told called
1: Um. The Aristocrats. I think I've heard some words in there. Something. Yeah. No, that, that uh, well, that the story that you're talking about that, is that, uh, and I'm not revealing anything because Rue McClanahan told this on stage at Bee's Memorial Service at the Majestic Theater on Broadway okay. back in 2010. Let it rip. And, so, and I had actually heard Rue tell this because Rue was on uh, the show called Sorted Lives on Logo that Del Shores created. And when that show was looking like it wasn't com- was not going to come back for another season, they started to do this kind of comedy club tour around the country at, where ticket prices, I guess, would come kind of be like a crowdfunding. And so Rue would come out and do what she called sit-down comedy because at that point she was in her mid-70s and she's like, ah, fuck it, I'm going to sit and I'm going to tell my stories. (laughs) So Rue told this story then and then she told it on the stage at Bee's Memorial. And I can't imagine Betty loves it, but this is the story. That uh, that, uh, when B. Arthur did her one-woman show on Broadway, Rue, who lived in New York with her husband Morrow, had gone to the opening night and they were at the opening night party and they were about to say their goodbyes at the end of the party and Morrow came up behind B and put his hand on her shoulder and kind of tapped her and she looked over her shoulder and he didn't think she could completely see who he was and plus it was out of context so he wanted to reintroduce himself. So he said, i I'm Morrow. I'm Rue's husband. I just want to tell you the show was wonderful. It's great to see you. And she put her hand on his really lovingly and said, oh, Morrow, it's so great to see you and I love Rue. But Betty White is a cunt. (laughs) Out of nowhere, <laughs> out of nowhere, twenty something years after she last worked with Betty, right, or like twenty no, no. she's hanging on. Yeah, to that. well, I guess seventeen years since she last worked with Betty. She <laughs> was hanging on to that one, and you know, Betty has come out about B not liking her, and and that was always this story that people talked about it behind the scenes about you know, the, was there a problem? And that was if there ever, if ever there was a problem, it was that Estelle couldn't remember lines, and they were all frustrated at having to stay late and have her do her right. lines and again. She had
0: stage fright too. She had terrible yeah. stage fright, yeah.
1: and then then the other thing was that B not liking Betty and Betty came out about it said it, I think it was on Larry King said it's oh, true said it she didn't like Art me she when said I was, it yeah, yeah when I was so, working so it. you know she's honest about it and and she says she didn't feel that way about B she respected her talent and i believe her you know B just B found Betty's sweet natured little mary sunshine thing to be an act to be phony I don't think it is I think it's who Betty is wow but but Betty also has that strength underneath you don't get to be 94 in this business and still keep working if you don't have balls and I think that B couldn't parse the dichotomy she couldn't figure out how you could be so strong and so sweet at the same time and so I think she thought she was full of shit but I mean that it's unfortunate because I they had great talent and they worked well together.
0: And you don't hear anybody else say a negative word about Betty White. Anywhere. You never hear that. Anywhere. You know? Do you
1: ever hear anybody else no, say Betty White a is a ju- con? It's a joke. All, Other than B, yes. <laughs> right, it's a joke that
0: you would. But B was a Marine. She was oh, tough. I know, and yeah. that was something she didn't. She that came tough. out after her death. Yeah.
1: That nobody talked about. Yeah. The I mean, there's photographic evidence of her in uniform. I've it's seen amazing. The pictures. Yeah.
2: I remember I once met Betty White at some event. And and she's we ran into each other. We're looking at each other, and she goes, "Hello, Gilbert." Oh, um, oh i oh, B. 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 I'm yeah. sorry, B. Arthur. Yeah, we were. Uh, it was at there was a showbiz event, and backstage somewhere, I run in face to face with B. Arthur, and she goes, "Hello, Gilbert," and I go, "Hello, B." And she goes, "So, hey, what are you working on now?" And I tell her, and she tells me. What she's working. She goes, Still living in the same area? And I thought, We never knew each other, but I said, Yeah. And then, with this, like a uh, quiet, uh, uncomfortable few <laughs> seconds of silence, and she looks at me and she goes, do we know each other or do we just know each other from television? <laughs> and I said, I think from television. And she just turned around and walked away.
1: I like how that was the end of the conversation, <laughs> not the beginning. <laughs>
2: that's it. Just left.
1: <laughs> well, that, I wonder if that was at the Friars Club roast for Jerry Stiller. Because I, remember, that's where Jeff Ross said that line about her. that re, She hated that if you remember oh, I Sandra Bernhardt right. had gone on right. and she had uh, da- sang and danced to Magic Man I don't even know if it made the telecast they may have cut it because right. it didn't go well and then afterward Jeff got up and said uh, and B was there sitting there right. on the dais only half paying attention that oh how about that Sandra Bernhardt I wouldn't fuck her with B Arthur's dick That's a- and B did her <laughs> Classic, yeah. you no, know, with double gonna... take, <laughs> <Yeah>. and her <laughs> classic look. But afterward, I know she was not pleased about that.
0: Well, Jeff's told that story on this show actually, and I think that he bought her flowers, and Good. He, made, he he spent months and months making making it up to and her. Trying, and I think finally they he was they they forged something of a friendship. Well, I think she was half
1: half. half flattered and half insulted, you know, it's a roast, it's attention, actors like attention, but she was always very vulnerable and very upset about people making fun of her appearance, and that was a problem on the Golden Girls too, that's one of the reasons she threatened to quit all the time because they would make fun of Dorothy and you know the thing is if you called Rose stupid Betty White is anything but stupid and knows it Rue McClanahan is not necessarily a slut Estelle is not necessarily 80 something years old right. she's in her 60s but when you call an actress ugly when you carry a character ugly yes. there's no way to divorce yourself wow, from that's that rough. and so B was really sick of it and it's funny because in the book one of the writers who started on the show in season 4 Richard Vaxi tells the story about how he and his writing partner Tracy Gamble got this big job on the Golden Girls and they were so So excited and their first script goes to table read and they're waiting to get their big laughs. And sometime in between, of course, when you're the junior writers on a show, you're between you turning in your draft of your script and it going to table read, it can be rewritten by anybody above you on that show. And, and, some of the showrunners had slipped in a couple of B Arthur or Dorothy jokes in there, and so it goes to the table read and they're reading through horrified seeing this for the first time as B's about to you know do this scene and there's a one of the characters basically calls her and it ended up being used later. I think it was either the one time they called her Buddy Ebsen or the time that oh. they or the time they called her like Gabby Hayes. I forget oh. which one it was
2: which one is worse <laughs> which
1: is worse Oh and oh. B <laughs> burst out crying at the table read oh. and got up and threatened to quit. She said, "I'm not coming back to this show." And these these poor young writers were like, you know, the the showrunners told them basically, go to your rooms. And they went to their room and they're packing. Like, okay, well, that was great. There's a career. <laughs> and they talked B off the ledge, and she didn't quit in season four. She quit after season seven. Right. But you know that shows that after that they were like, all right, we got to take this seriously. She is not good with the jokes. She was sensitive. Her. She was. People didn't know that about Interesting.
2: her. It, it was always funny. I, I remember when I was growing up, there were always those parts where I wondered about the actors in it. Where if it's supposed to be that the person's ugly? Yeah,
0: like Margaret Dumont. Oh yes, you
2: got the worst
1: of right, it. Right, but she yes. never apparently was in on the right, joke. So I, mean, understood understood I always wonder about the casting call for those roles. Oh yes, like when the the women that Al Bundy would make fun of, unmarried with children, and they'd always right. be these big battle axes. Right. Yes. I always wondered, like, what did the casting call say? Like, must be obese, totally preferably hideous, totally unattractive, yeah. and who like reads that and goes, "Oh my lucky day, my big break."
0: <laughs> yes. Do you remember an actress from the 70s and the 60s, Rita Shaw? Yes. T.A. Shaw. Yes. Like, you'd know if you saw her. From oh, her. Ghost she and Mrs. Muir. Like a linebacker. Oh, yeah. And she always played a stern nanny. The Ghost era. and Mrs. Muir, the Ghost Maid. and Mrs. Muir. She yeah. was oh, on the Ghost okay. and Mrs. Yeah. Muir. Yeah, and she was always in that part. Yes. Yeah. Pat Carroll would turn up in some of those uh, yeah, parts, Yeah, but too, Pat Carroll, you know, they were making her look that way. I mean, if you look at the Make Room for Daddy repeats, she was young and blonde and pretty. Right. That's true. And and Alice Ghostly, I guess. Oh and my Nancy God, Walker Alice and, Ghostly! I'm thinking about all the actresses. That dr- I
2: just got a flashback just because I was watching. Yeah, <laughs> I was watching Fantasy Island, and there was that.
1: I'm sorry. There
2: were yes, <laughs> there were those episodes. I'd forgotten about them yeah. until he showed them, where uh, Christopher Hewitt.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, Mr. Belvedere. Yes, yes,
2: he was the guy, and there was no. Uh, now, now. Yeah, I he was,
0: replaced what
1: Montauban? Did he replace? No, Montal- no,
2: no. Oh, he, no! He replaced. Insane. He
1: replaced Hervey Villachez yes. That's right.
2: right. Yeah. now, was Hervey Villachez already dead?
0: No, I don't when think he so. He just left. I think yeah. he just left in a contract dispute of some kind because is, he had a lot of other options. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was really hot.
2: Doing
1: Lear, I,
0: I,
2: <laughs> some, somebody said when he got the job. I think Hervé just didn't even have a phone at the time. And so they went to pick him up. And the guy, the driver said, the section of L.A. he was in, he said he was like calling his boss and going, look, I, I don't want to get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's safe, where- for Herve, it's safe enough for Hervé,
1: it's safe enough for you, the driver. What did say at the yeah. time, Gil?
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, <ain't never> <laughs> I say, you do not get mugged and raped and be done. <laughs> but we digress. <laughs>
0: Let's go back to the Golden Girls.
2: So the, you never had any evidence of Betty White being a cunt?
1: No. No, you know, I saw... Well, okay, here's one thing that I, I think the, might be some evidence. I personally was at a taping in okay. 1992, in the last season of the show, and... Estelle kept screwing up her lines, as I now have learned, happened all the time. And Betty turned to the audience uh, at one point after one of Estelle's flubs and did the drinking motion, like glug, 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 in front of the audience and made a joke of it, and the audience laughed. And so Betty was clowning, and it was a way to, I think, keep the audience on your side after Estelle was going to make that mistake ten times. But that kind of thing bothered Estelle, and Betty probably knew it because Estelle had probably said something. Because Estelle was so, you know, when you have stage fright, the more people point it out, the worse it gets. And so... You know, people could say that that was Betty being mean. I don't think it was. I really think she was trying to keep the audience going, but still didn't like it. Yeah. So, you know, but, I, I bet. hey, Betty is 94 and still going strong, doing those game shows on She's ABC. She's still going
0: We'd love to get her. I, guess I we have to. I guess we have to try. To, you know, she, we thought she'd be a difficult booking. You know, but... her
1: living room is lovely, butter yellow. Just bring your equipment. Go
0: go to her. We should. For a guest like Betty White, we'd fly to LA. I know. Omar, how amazing would that be?
2: And I remember just outside of the sound place here... I was thinking, I thought, you know, it's been a couple of months or so or a year. I haven't seen Betty White on TV. Since Off Our Rockers. Yes, Yes, right, right. joke show. Yeah, Yeah, and I thought, uh uh-oh, she must be in horrible shape, about to die. And then I find out she's already working on a new show.
1: Yeah, as as, uh, my friend Marshall Wallace used to say, you can't kill her with a stick.
0: I
2: love that. So tell us a couple of
0: things about the Golden Girls that I I didn't know. For one thing, we'll tell you something that, of course, you did know, but you didn't know. We just interviewed Lee Grant, uh, and she turned down Golden Girls. Okay.
1: There's a hint of that in my book because... Couldn't get her to confirm that. She confirmed but it I for us. Did I? I see. Look at that. You scoop me. But I did talk We're to much Dinah. Better You're better interviewers.
0: <laughs> but
1: I did talk to Dinah Manoff, her, da- her daughter, uh-huh. who also was on the show and yep. as crossing over from her Empty Nest character. And so Dinah was like trying to be the go-between to find out. But yeah, because Lee Grant had been Faye for Whit Thomas Harris. Correct. She was like one of the first thoughts for Dorothy. I she mean, even wanna, though it said a B Arthur type in the script, she though she so didn't want to really play
0: uh, a, a, a grandmother. grandmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah which I is, guess is what it came down to. Huh. Did it start out, uh, Warren Littlefield saw a presentation with Doris Roberts? It was actually Brandon Tartikoff. Oh, was he Brandon was the, Tartikoff. The visionary? I I mean, info. Well, Littlefield
1: was there and he was involved in this whole decision-making thing. But this is the days of NBC when Tartikoff was really the guru there. And yeah, it's it, it came from a couple of different places. They were doing when when Miami Vice was one of the the, the hopes of NBC to really resuscitate mm-hmm. because if you remember in the early '80s, NBC was sucking. Sure, you know nothing. Sure. Go, nothing was working. Cosby Show finally was the first comedy that worked. Miami Vice became the first drama that worked of that era, and so. As they were preparing to launch Miami Vice in the fall of 84, they did one of their boring fall preview specials, which was, you know, in, in front of an audience full of bored and drunken affiliates or whatever, and I think they're probably taping it. And they gave each of their stars patter to to read on the prompter. And they, what they gave to Doris Roberts, who was on Remington Steel, and to Selma Diamond, who was on Night Court, was shtick where it was almost like Emily Latella, like where they were going to mistake Miami Vice and think it was called Miami Nice. I see. And be two little Jewish ladies saying, Miami Nice. Na- what is it about people in Florida? I don't get it. And so they did the shtick, and because they are really good, they made something of it. And it was really the only moment of that night that anybody remembered afterward, that nobody really cared about this, the patter about all the new shows, which were doomed to fail anyway. Right. They All they remembered was, hey, that was actually funny, these two women doing this little old lady shtick. And Brandon Tartikoff in his book also talked about how he was obsessed with, I think it was his aunt in Florida, his elderly aunt, and how she got along with her neighbors and her complex. And he also watched How to Marry a Millionaire with his, with his niece at the time. So there was a lot going on where he was thinking about groupings of women and then particularly older women. And I think that at that moment it all gelled when he saw Doris and Selma do that. Right. And so it started as a joke where he was telling the other NBC executives, let's do this thing called Miami Nice. And everybody thought he was crazy. And, you know, he was a real maverick. For every Miami Nice he came up with, he came up with a Manimal, too. Manimal, so it's like, we've talked about Manimal? that show. Simon, yeah, times, Simon McCorkendale. Yeah, Simon McCorkendale. So, you know, it, 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 they weren't all great. They weren't all gems. But this one, he kind of kept alive. And when uh, T- Tony Thomas and Paul Witt, the other two in Witt, Witt Thomas Harris, yeah. came in with a writer to pitch something to NBC that they didn't want, as they were walking out the door, uh, Tartakov said to them, you know, there is an idea I want to throw at you. And he talked all about Miami Nice. And whoever that writer was, I don't even know, was not interested. You can imagine kicking yourself? Imagine. But Paul Witt, being married to Susan Harris, knows her sensibility very well and said that's something she'd love. And sure enough, she did. So they kind of, it's, it's so funny. Most shows obviously start with the writer pitching his heart out, trying to get a show to a studio and a network. And this is a case where the network said, all right, Susan, you're good. Here's our idea. We, you know, and. Obviously, that that it bodes well for getting it on the air.
0: And that was it. And B Arthur yeah. turned down the part originally. She did,
1: and she didn't. She oh, claims just, it's, it's hard confl- to. It's conflicting hard to, stories. Well, it's hard to too. reconcile B's re- recollections with. The real, the people in the real well, world. What did she tell you? <laughs> <laughs> B told me that she was the last person in town to hear that it was written in this script called The Golden Girls that Dorothy was a B Arthur type, uh-huh. and that is what it was written as. It's funny. Jessica Walter said before that uh, you know it was written a Jessica Walter type for or I think Jessica Walter for Arrested Development. For Arrested, for development. Arrested yeah. development. Same yeah. thing. You know, B Dorothy said a B Arthur type. So everybody else in town remembers that and that originally, they say B didn't want to do it. Now, maybe her agent said she didn't want to do it and she didn't know, I don't know. But they had to go to find some alternates and that's, there's a whole tragic story of Elaine Stritch's audition that I she told her. I was just going to bring her,
0: that up. Did she drop an F-bomb, Elaine Stritch? Oh, yes. So yeah. Elaine Stritch,
1: I'll get to that in a minute, but <laughs> Elaine Stritch had an audition. But eventually it came back to B, where Susan Harris really said, it's B or I don't want to do this show, and one of the reasons NBC didn't want B, so one of the reasons they hadn't even pursued too hard was because of Maude and her abortion, and so B B had a, a strong Q score, which means that people knew who she was, but it was also a negative score that people didn't like her
0: because of Maude. Because of Maude. Wow. How about and that? And so
1: they real NBC was not thrilled with the idea of her, and that's why they made this Elaine Stritch thing happen. But at the last minute, now B says, okay, when she did hear about the show, she didn't want to do it because she thought. With Betty originally slated to play to play Blanche, which is true, it was going to be too much like Sue Ann Nivens. And with Rue originally slated to play Rose, it was going to be too much like Vivian from Maud. And so she said when Rue called her to beg her to do this show, Rue, I have no interest in playing Sue Ann Nivens meets Vivian meets Maud or something like that. And Rue had to say to her, that's not what we're doing. It's been switched, didn't you hear? And B signed on very soon after that. But yeah, the, oh, the Elaine Stritch story. So when NBC wouldn't have yeah. B, and apparently B wouldn't have them anyway, the the head of casting at NBC, a gay guy, so he knows theater, was like, you know, there is there is another candidate who is very B-Arthur-like, I think meaning she has balls and a deep voice. And so he, they flew Elaine Stritch in from New York, and literally it could not have been set up like more like a farcical comedy scene, because it wasn't until I think she was parking in the NBC parking lot that Susan Harris said to the executives in the in the audition room, by the way, it's either B or nobody, and I'm not doing this show. And here's Elaine Stritch walking in for her audition. And it, as they said, it was, you know, a, a audition rooms, I guess, often are a very cold, weird, L-shaped room where the actor is made to feel very uncomfortable. And Elaine Stritch comes in, and she starts doing the lines, and she's getting, like, it's ice cold. Nobody is reacting to her because she doesn't know. They've just been arguing about it before she walks in. And the more the room is ice cold, as actors tend to do, the more she tries to get bigger and bigger and win them over. And then she thinks she's going to embellish a little by throwing the F-bomb in there a couple times. You know, Pass the fucking hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> How and weird. Susan did not care for that. And so there was tension between her and Susan Harris in the room because Susan had just said, I only want B. be Arthur. And now, who, do you, who is this you're bringing in who's saying fuck in the middle of my right, lines? Right, So it didn't go well.
0: Well, that would have been a very, I mean, I could guess I could see, see it working with Elaine Stritch but it would've been a very different it would, show. Yeah, but you know
1: any sitcom that's classic is classic because every piece of casting was right. And yeah, the if chemistry. you if you try to change any one character in any classic show you'd be like that wouldn't have worked, but maybe it would have been been different.
0: Well, we were we had Lee Grant on uh, uh Gil, and we were oh, trying yeah. to figure out if Empty Nest was a spin we, neither one of us could remember that Empty Nest was a spin-off.
1: It was, yes. but it was a spin-off in the worst way. They started yeah. They started with the concept that they wanted to create something called Empty Nest the, the Wit Thomas Harris people. So they they wrote this embedded pilot that they embedded within the oh. Golden Girls. Was that
0: did it have former Gilbert podcast guest Paul Dooley it did. in it
1: and Rita Moreno? Uh-huh. And they played a couple whose daughter had just moved off to college. So they were an empty nest. It was a dreadfully boring episode. The girls were in it quite a lot because they were the girls' next-door neighbors, which is how they introduced it. But it's like one of those episodes when you see it coming out on The Golden Girls, you're like, shit, it's I that don't
0: one. don't remember that. You know,
2: we're going to have to do a special episode of these phony spin-offs. Yes. <laughs> yes, we
0: will do one.
2: Like Married with Children had about four Yes,
1: right, and they didn't go.
2: That was so clumsy. All of a sudden, Al would go... Hey, it's my best friend in the whole (laughs) world, Uh, uh, Tim Johnson. He's always getting into some weird adventures. And you go, what?
1: And then why are we spending a half hour with him? That's yeah, what, yeah. Or the Brady Bunch had one of those, where it was a weird family. Next that,
0: the, th- that was the Ken
2: Berry thing. Yes,
1: Ken yeah, Berry. and we about that. He had a, like an, a, one of each, a, a white kid you of his own, Gil? an adopted Asian and black kid. Ken oh. Berry on... Uh,
0: yeah. Sir Sherwood Schwartz tried to spin Ken oh. Berry off. Yes, from, and from, so uh, they had an embedded thing like that. And,
2: and what's so weird about those shows is they would be introduced as so-and-so's be- lifelong best friend. You go, well, if the... Best friends. How come they were never mentioned once? And they
1: never will be again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly.
2: And then what happens too is the main characters, after doing like a few seconds, then disappear. Yeah. And then maybe they'll come in the middle. And it's a light see-
1: week for the main characters yes. that week. They're cashing the check and, and <laughs> going that, off to Cancun I, I mean, that
0: in week. In the 70s, I remember well, Maud was a character on All in the Family right. before she... Well, and that then, makes sense before, as a I mean, spin-off. do it a little more seamlessly. A well, normally gracious, that's
1: what happens. Gracefully. Characters get spun off into their own situations, but sometimes they try to. It's a cheap way of doing an episode of your show. Right. If you want to do a pilot, but you want it to be paid for by your existing show, you just do it as an embedded episode. So that way you can air it no matter what happens. It's, it's just cheapness.
2: Yeah, so, I remember on... On and uh, not I mean, and uh, married with children, they had that one with Matt LeBlanc, and oh wow. yeah. And yeah, was that. Pa- uh, uh, what's his name? We were just talking about him. Was it Joe Bologna? Joe Bologna. Yes. It's a father and son. Jesus, I
0: haven't thought about oh, that in 20 I, years. I saw that written somewhere in a, like
1: thing. a Matt LeBlanc bio, and I, and I forget what it was. And yeah, yeah, then there was the another thing. Thing. They they were one Italian. they did. Yeah, were They were a bunch of Gumbas. Oh, yeah, exactly.
2: There was another one they did where uh, Alan Thicke was the star. Of
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Just the Ten of Us, I think. That, no, was that Just the Ten of Us? No, that I was think something just else. the Ten of
0: Us was the one with Bill Kirkenbauer. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Alan Thicke that way. What, was, Thick, the, though, what was
2: the Alan Thicke one? Uh, that, I don't know. Maybe they introduce it like Kelly is either going out with Alan Thicke or Alan <laughs> A <Thicke>. very special <laughs> yeah. and, and, intergenerational yeah. dating episode. Yeah. And, and I don't know. And once again, they're introduced, and then the main characters just go off to China. Yeah. Well, that's
1: what happened with this Empty Nest thing. I mean, so and so Paul Dooley and Rita Moreno, it's all about them and their missing daughter. And then that because that didn't go, for, why did they love that title, Empty Nest? I'll never know. So when they introduced Richard Mulligan's character right. as a neighbor, they spun him off kind of the more traditional way. I see. Called it Empty Nest still, but it— Empty nest. It's like what his daughters are living with him. Right? How is it an empty any sense nest, sense nest with in the any immortal way? David Leisure? With David Leisure, <laughs> was Joey in both? Joe and Susan He was in both pilots. Right, He's the right. only continuity between the two that's empty right. nests. He was in the one with Rita Moreno and Dave, and Paul Dooley too.